Um, hey guys, what's happening? I'm back. Sam is back. Hey Sam, how's it going? Good, Jimmy. All right, well that was quick. Um, Film Files, we're going to take on a genre that we don't often talk about, and um, you're going to have to stick with us through the intro to hear what that is, but we'll just give you a little clue. Today's term is defined as a general term for comedies that deal mainly with the follies and misunderstandings of young lovers in a lighthearted and happily concluded manner, which usually avoids serious satire. We're doing the rom-coms this week, so stick with us. This is Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Good morning, Vietnam! I drink your milkshake. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. I'm sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. All right. So, as I mentioned, Sam took the reins this week. He chose You've Got Mail from 1998. Directed by Nora Ephron, of course. And I'll hand it over to Sam, and he can kind of explain why he chose You've Got Mail. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I don't know why you wouldn't choose You've Got Mail. It's probably the best romantic comedy ever made. It's, uh, it fits all the, all the points of a romantic comedy. And uh, my girlfriend suggested that we do a romantic comedy. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing You've Got Mail, which I, I love. Yeah, uh, here, we just finished watching it here, and I could tell that uh, Sam knows this movie well. And it's a good movie. I'm not going to uh, come at this movie with why do I not like it or why do I like it, but I find it interesting that um, the romantic comedy has been around since, like, the Shakespeare days, since, like, the 1500s with Much Ado About Nothing and, what else, Midsummer Night's Dream. and But it seems like it's 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 evolved and I wondered why that is. Like, this movie is a very, you know, it's it's all about the chase. And very little of the movie is actually about them together. But it's kind of... Um... Can I jump in here? Yeah, yeah, bit? yeah. So, I, you said that it had evolved. And uh, you referenced Midsummer Night's Dream. Or, mid, yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream. And uh, Much Ado About Nothing. I think it's devolved. <laughs> <laughs> not thinking you know yeah <laughs> it's, yeah no i can yeah. i can totally see that i think evolved because this movie first of all this movie is hilarious i wanted to start with some trivia so tom hanks has been in 10 movies that are just a single word in the title so if you can name five out of ten you're gonna win something really special oh so, if you can name five movies that Tom Hanks has been in that have one word in the title. Just a single? Mm-hmm. Uh, big. Splash. Uh, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I'll give you a hint. One of them was his first movie. Sully. That's three. The movie nobody asked for. Ah. Mm. It's Tom Hanks. Everybody's, what does that mean? Everyone's asking for Tom I'm Hanks. Sorry, Tom. Everyone's asking for Tom Hanks. I don't care what he's doing. Uh, another Hanks 
Single. You're going to kill yourself. That wasn't foreshadowing. I'm sorry. You're just going to be really kicking yourself. Hang on. Yeah. As okay. you look around your room. No. <laughs> was not. Uh, hang on. Shit. 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 Ugh. Big splash. Sully. How about the one where he met his wife? Sleepless in Seattle? That's three words. No. That's not where he met Rita Wilson. Where'd he meet her? Volunteers. Oh, John Candy. Yeah. Oh. I forgot about that one. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 punchline. Oh, good. Uh-huh. Um, you want me to throw some out there? Yeah, go on. Philadelphia. Oh, fuck. Inferno. Okay, you can stop now. No, I feel well, I just thought it was interesting, because I was looking at his IMDb, and it seemed like there was... All right, so I got Big, mm-hmm. Sully, Castaway, mm. Philadelphia, Inferno, Terminal, Burbs, uh, Splash. It's called The Terminal. The yeah, Burbs. but... Trust me. That's what I was thinking. And you well, lied to me. that's okay. Because I just said Turner and Hooch. Yeah. It's not Turner Hooch. True, but that's still two words. That's three words. Turner Hooch. Turner, what's the and? Ampersand. Yeah, ampersand. So we're talking about 1998. This movie is so hilariously time capsule-ish. You probably remember this movie. It, it revolves around AOL, so much so that it's like it was produced by AOL. And they show the menu sign-on screen, and they hold on it, and they show the entire dial-up. It's as if they knew that it was going to be like an archaic joke when it came out, you know. So 1998, just to kind of bring you back, this is what was going on. In 1998, we lost Phil Hartman, Sonny Bono, Linda McCartney, Sherry Lewis, Gene Autry, Lloyd Bridges, Roy Rogers, and Buddy from the Airbud movies. I actually kind of, can I jump on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you just said about it being a, a time capsule? Yeah. The way uh the way it plays it's kind of interesting like you've got you've got AOL they're using the beta version of AOL 4.0 I know that it, it deals also in um I don't I don't know how to describe it. so so for instance uh, uh Kinnear Greg Kinnear has for some reason a problem with technology uh, he's kind of like a proto hipster in that way because he in the beginning clearly has a laptop bag on him so that's when he starts talking about his issue with technology and yet he walks out with a laptop uh comes back with a typewriter so he's kind of a proto hipster in that sense and aol is this 4.0 version is in its beta version and they're using aol uh as their entryway into the internet and into uh email and instant messaging it i kind of see it as like a bridge between the pre-internet and post-internet ages, in a sense. All right, uh, I have another uh, trivia question for you. Yeah. I know we're going to jump around here. All right, so um, this was the highest-grossing movie of 1998. I'll give you four movies. Saving Private Ryan, Men in Black, A Bug's Life, or Armageddon. I want to say it's Saving Private Ryan, but I'd imagine it's probably Men in Black. Wouldn't it be good, though, if it was Saving Private Ryan? Because that's Tom Hanks. I know. But it's not. It's neither of those? It's Armageddon. Oh. Which came out the same year as uh, Deep Impact. I know you want to do a podcast on these uh, unfortunate clone movies. Right. Well, Deep Impact was actually written by uh, a guy. Well, Deep... So, 
Michael Bay came to the guy who had the idea for Deep Impact, spoke with him, wrote down all these notes, went off and did Armageddon without this guy, and this guy ended up writing Deep Impact after that. So that's why they came out around the same time. They were kind of the same movie turned into two different, or the same idea turned into two different movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like Ants and the Bugs and the Bugs Life. Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, and then there was also the uh, the movie that Chris Tucker made at the same time as Chris Rock, in which there was uh, uh, a black president. Oh yeah. But the Chris Tucker one never got released, and I'm not sure what it was called. That's eh, okay. Yeah. So I asked Sam to come up with uh, his top five or five of his favorite romantic comedies because when I say they've evolved, I'm thinking in my mind that the stakes have gotten higher. This movie is a very nice, easy, safe movie to watch. And since it came out in 1998, we've had the rise of the independent film movements, which are fairly cheap and very successful. And as far as outlets goes, you know, with Vimeo and YouTube and all that, I think that we, a a simple chase between two people who against all odds find each other in the end it's like there's been variations now you know i think judd apatow had a big hand in that with 40 year old virgin and knocked up yeah where it's not quite the traditional romantic comedy but you know depending on how your definition is you know is the central plot the love story because not just any movie that has a love story as a romantic comedy. Right. So what what'd you come up with? So the way I approached this was, when you asked me, was that I wanted to stick with those those movies that we most identify as romantic comedies, the, the Hollywood mid-budget romantic comedies that we kind of don't have anymore now that, you know, you've either got a $500 million or $200 million Hollywood action extravaganza, or you've got, like you said, an independent film from Fox Searchlights or... or, or Focus Features. Focus Features, yeah. exactly. So I was thinking about these mid-budget films, and there are a few that have come out around this... Uh, have come out lately. Uh, I don't really consider Apatow movies to to be... Rom- like I, I, Those are just so so far comedy that I try not to think too much of those. Uh so most of these that I've chosen are from like, I think the, the mid nineties or early nineties. Um, and two of them are Nora Ephron, maybe three. I think maybe three. Anyway, Nora Ephron wrote and directed this movie, by the way, if you don't know Nora Ephron, she did sleepless in Seattle and this and, um, Oh, a number of other movies. Yeah. I know. I I have written down. Uh, she did Julie and Julia. Yeah. That was her last movie. She died uh, shortly after yeah. Bewitched came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those two events are related. I imagine that they probably are. Yeah, she died in 2012. In 2013, they came out with a movie uh, based on a play that she'd written. Uh, and I think that actually... Or no, a, well, in any case, they came out with a movie based on a play that she'd written that had actually been turned into a, a movie that Tom Hanks was in. It was, I think, the first movie that she directed... Uh, back in like the mid 80s and the movie that she'd written that gave her the opportunity to direct is actually one of my top five romantic comedies it's when harry met sally she wrote that yeah Uh, another one is of course you've got mail which i love uh while you were sleeping which i think is a Nora ephron film yeah i forgot about that one i love that movie yeah what about uh lucky numbers with john travolta and um Oh, what's her name? Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, that's not really a romantic comedy though. That's that's actually that falls into like those uh, those dark 
comedy heist films that were coming out in like the mid to late 90s. I think that one came out in like 2000. Yeah. Uh, that Usual Suspects made popular, I think. Like there was that one. There was the movie Heist with Gene Hackman and I think mm. Danny DeVito. Yeah. Uh, there was the score that came out with Ed Norton and um, De Niro and <laughs> I can't remember his name. What the hell? Ed Norton, De Niro. And Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando. I could, uh, like, I. Uh, so anyway, those those movies, um, yeah, I like those those dark comedy. Oh, and also the the greatest of them all, uh, the Christian Slater film. Pump up the volume. <laughs> That's not the one, or and it's not Cuffs. It's uh, him, Daniel Stern. I think Cameron Diaz. Very bad things. Very bad things. Yeah. Oh shit! That was a. Yeah, that was a fan. Was... I don't know if that would be romantic comedy. No, no, no. It's, You're not it's, calling it, was, it that. But... No, it was one of those dark. Yeah, those that was dark super dark comedies. Movie. Yeah, because uh... comedy and rated R did not often go hand in hand. I feel like old school was one of the big movies that kind of because R rating used to be box office poison, and especially with comedy, I feel like no R ratings used to not. They didn't used to be that. Like I mean, Animal House and Caddyshack, but I mean. A lot of comedies were rated R, or a lot of um, adult-oriented comedies that would today be rated R were, like, PG. Arthur, though, that was uh, Dudley Moore. That was mm-hmm. rated R. That was, was kind it? of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of romantic comedy. It's not I guess on my maybe list. in the 90s? Because I feel like wh- when Old School came out and it was rated R, it was kind of a surprise. Yeah, because... but Old School isn't a 90s film. No. Yeah. No, it's not. No, but you're right. Like, uh, a lot, everything turned kind of PG-13... I think around the time of Batman Begins, I think that one kind of did it for. But I, they were they were kind of going in that direction for a while. In any case, uh, my top five are You've Got Mail and Harry Met Sally. While you were sleeping, forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, is the newest one that I put on here, and then Gross Point Blank, which I absolutely love. Yeah, you turned me on to Gross Point Blank. Yeah, that movie's great. That was that was yeah. good. John Cusack used to be a go-to. Oh a, yeah, I really like Serendipity. I watched it recently, and I do honestly think it holds up. But it is another one that's like on a very small scale um, well, I plot. Think, yeah, it was like you a mid budget. It had kind of a high um, high art highbrow. Highbrow, yeah, it was like a highbrow idea. Um, I just like seeing Kate Beckinsale in a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah, she that was, was a weird one. She was great. I thought about High Fidelity for that list, but I don't really see oh, that as a yeah. because I would put that on ending. my. Really? Yeah, I think another interesting distinguishing factor, too, you know, we, we mentioned the central plot needs to be the love story. Yeah. But what about when you have these side characters that are so encapsulating and so entertaining to watch that they, like, pull you away from the main story? You know, like, I really like 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I think ultimately it's about Steve Carell's journey. But that was one of Seth Rogen's first big ones. That was one of Paul Rudd's. I mean, he had been in Wet Hot, but... And Clueless. And Clueless, but these were like, and Jane Lynch made her debut on the scene, mm-hmm. and the characters were so fantastical that you kind of forget about the love story. But, right, and that's what I mean, like with the Apatow movies, like yeah. they're far more comedy than they are romantic. But forgetting comedy. Sarah Marshall is the exception. Is that is that Apatow? I think it was Apatow. It's got the crew. He didn't direct it. No. Um. <laughs> oh, Nicholas Stoller. Yeah. Hello, Nicholas Stoller. What did you do? You did neighbors and get him to the greek oh god that was a terrible movie you didn't like get him to the no greek? i did not like oh, him i liked to the greek. that movie i used to hate russell 
brand. Brand. But then I found out that uh, he's also a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, and he's very good with his money. Former homeless person. Yeah, he's uh, kind of a philanthropist, and um, I respect that. Yeah, you see that a lot with with people who had nothing, celebrities who had nothing, and now, you know, they they really appreciate it, and they know how to give back. He does that. Chris Pratt does the same thing. Mm -hmm. He was homeless. He was a homeless guy in Hawaii for a while, I think. Well, um, getting back to you've got mail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's when that, yeah, that that intro. It's actually the the intro was inspired by a painting called New York City by I, I, I think a Frenchman who uh, who'd made the painting. But in any case, what it turned out to be really really reminds me of the the opening to Leon the Professional. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was neat when I saw it most recently here. That was the first time I'd really noticed that. I thought that was funny. That was funny. Yeah. So this is a pretty direct remake. You want to talk about how they did that, what it's a remake of? Yeah, no, it's actually, it's 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 a remake, and it's not the first remake uh, of this. So it had been originally called Shop Around the Corner. It starred Jimmy Stewart. But there were actually, there there have been a few over the years. Uh, there was the shop around the corner, and then that was in 1940. And then in 1949, uh, there was a movie called In the Good Old Summertime. And that was uh, that was also a remake. Uh, and th- these were all actually, these are, well, and then a third one in 1987 uh, kind of flipped the, the roles. Uh, it had um, Anne Bancroft as the rich and Anthony Hopkins as the poor. And that was called eighty four Charing Cross Road. Uh, but anyway, these all these movies as well as you've got mail are remakes of a stage play. And there's I think more, to be honest with you, probably more that have been based on that play. So it's really popular, and I find that interesting. But uh, what else? Another thing I noticed when rewatching it was that the movie it, it, it's kind of a two hour long AOL ad. Yeah, uh, and I think that the only way that you could do that and keep people interested would be pairing Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan yeah. into the movie, and then supporting them with such an amazing cast of characters played by Parker Posey, Greg Kinnear, Steve Zahn, Dave Chappelle, uh, Dabney and, Coleman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nine to five, dude. Yeah, yeah. Man, he is like yeah. always the smarmy, mm-hmm. smarmy rich guy. Yeah. I like the uh, I like the the proto Aubrey Plaza character. Uh, that's she's played by Heather Burns. She was in um, uh, she was in Bored to Death. Mm. Yeah, she was in in that show. Forgot about that most show. recently. Yeah, that's a good show. She's from Chicago originally. Was, yeah, she's a native. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was nice to hear the term cyber sex. <laughs> and you've yeah. got mail. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. I like uh, I like how when she brings that up, it's it's an answer to the question, "Am I cheating?" And she never really answers the question. She's just yeah. like, "Well, don't have cyber sex because you, you lose all respect for yourself." Do you think um, if you were in a relationship and your significant other was having cyber sex with somebody else, uh, and it had been going on for a couple weeks, and you found out that person didn't come clean, but you found out? that Nikki's been cybering with other people, would you consider that cheating? I would say yes. Uh, And the reason for that is that um, uh, it's a real world... It has a real world effect. Like, it's a a real connection that these people are making. You know, clearly, because in the end of the movie, what they've been doing online leads up to them getting together. Yeah. Uh, And 
you know, if if they didn't think that it was cheating, then they wouldn't be hiding it from their partners. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I always felt like cheating begins when you start to share intimacy with somebody other than your significant other in any form. Any you know? form? That means I'm cheating on Nikki when I hang out with my friends. Yeah, but we're not being intimate right now. I th- I mean, I share I would share intimate memories and thoughts. Yeah, I guess. I don't want to downplay it. Do you mean sexual intimacy? Um I guess so, yeah. I mean, sexual seems a little strong, but... Um, Sensual? Yeah. I mean, like, if I had been talking to, you know, a coworker over, like, Facebook Messenger or something, something that I would hide from my significant other, like, I would... Mm-hmm. can I don't know. I was just kind of curious, you know, <laughs> if you considered that cheating, because it well, yeah. seems like something that you could rationalize your way out of but no i understand but uh as far as as far as the the from what i've read the differences between men and women and how they process emotion and how they view sex men view sex as far more of a a physical act than an emotional one and women view it as a far more emotional act so clearly emotions play a large role in uh how a woman perceives uh, a relationship or a connection in some way. So I would imagine that having an emotional connection with someone would really uh, would, would would be a, an honest relationship as far as a woman would would go, and as yeah. far as men go, well, what you know, if it's if it's a relationship that's going to go anywhere, then probably what the woman says is what matters. I thought this was interesting because there's all these different pop culture references with uh, internet and technology and. It's very easy to date this movie, despite a fucking awesome soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have Steve Zahn and Dave Chappelle and Parker Posey, and you have others, but those Gene are... Gene Stapleton. Yeah, and Gene Stapleton. You gotta, you gotta mention her. True. But those three <laughs> specifically are actors who, at one point, were like A-listers, and maybe not Parker Posey, but Steve Zahn for sure. And so I was like... That's fascinating because I wonder what happened to Steve Zahn. As it turns out, he's been working this whole time. He's just not in the same like arena of movies that he used to be in, you know. Yeah, well, Steve Zahn was always a supporting character. I wouldn't call him A-list. Dave Chappelle, <laughs> Dave Chappelle is at the as will probably always be at the top. Well, I mean, I mean, look at him now. So that's yeah. That's what I thought was interesting was that in my mind, I'm like, oh man, I don't see Parker Posey anymore. They must have had a fall. Uh, she must have had a fall from grace. Or maybe Jimmy, she just decided to uh, live her life and have a family, (laughs) you know, like pulling a Rick Moranis. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she's welcome back at any point to anywhere. She's she's wonderful to watch. I really like Parker Posey. And Dave Chappelle, well, he just released his two specials, two of three on Netflix. They're available right now. Yeah. And they're, I don't know if you've watched them. Um, I've watched them both. They're incredible. And he's just hilarious i don't i don't know if i really believe him and tom hanks as like buddies i like both of those as actors watch your mouth right dave chappelle and tom hanks uh, clearly are best were they awesome i don't know i couldn't tell i was either like one problem i did have with the movie is that right away as soon as greg kinnear and parker posey are introduced you know you go to see this movie tom hanks and meg ryan even if you've never seen joe versus the volcano or sleepless in seattle I think you probably know going into it that they're going to get together, or at least the idea, the goal is that they're going to get together. So you have these characters, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. They both have significant others. 
Greg Kinnear and Parker Posey, respectively. And as soon as they're introduced, we don't really like them. And not only that, but we see that they're clearly not right for each other. Well, And I, f- I feel like we see movies now where it challenges us a little bit more in a sense that they could have made Greg Kinnear more likable. And maybe he has these faults, but we have to like use our brains and figure that out instead of just so obviously like... See, these two don't make sense. They shouldn't be together. You know what I mean? I, I know what you mean. Uh, so, actually, you brought up an interesting point that I want to touch on, and that's that they have significant others. This is actually the first of that list of remakes that gives them significant others, which I thought was interesting. But uh, uh, as, as far as Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and how they relate to their significant others... I actually, I was thinking about that, and I do see how they would get together. Um, and that's that's in, in Tom Hanks' portrayal of a sociopath uh, in this film. Yeah, you mentioned that. I thought that was interesting. Can yeah. you explain the sociopath? Yeah, I mean, he's so he's, he's a billionaire, and she's self-centered. And, in fact, at one... And I just feel like someone who runs a... a such a, a gigantic, you know, representation of Barnes and Noble, you know, who's the truly, in fact, the, the exterior of Fox books is a Barnes and Noble. The interior is a Barney's, which that's pretty funny, you know, uh, <laughs> but, uh, how do how do I say? It? So Tom Hanks doesn't, I don't think he's very good with honest, genuine emotion, and I think that's why he his character would gravitate towards Parker Posey. And I don't mean Tom Hanks isn't genuinely emotional. There's that's his character, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that helps him in the fact that she's self centered. He doesn't have to think about her. Doesn't have to worry about her. And in fact, at one point in the movie, he says uh, in response to someone mentioning uh, his interest. In her character, Patricia, he says, I love Patricia. She's amazing. She makes coffee nervous. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, a subtle dig at his own decisions. I think he's expressing his reason for loving her. He's not comfortable with genuine human emotion and happiness, and that's why he brings that up. Whereas Meg Ryan is easily manipulated, which is, I'm sure, what he enjoys about that. You know, in the beginning, you see how she's fawning over this email. She says something to the effect of, I'm walking through the streets of New York, and I hear nothing. All I think about is that I have mail from you. And it's like one little friggin' email about pencils, mm-hmm. you know? Like, <laughs> a bouquet of pencils. Or that might have been, been hers, in any case. Clearly, she's, she's far more genuine in her emotion than his character. And I think that that's what drives him towards her. And I don't think it's for uh, a, a positive reason at first, you know, she's, yeah. she's perfect for a man like Hanks uh, in that sense. Like Parker Posey, he kind of looks at her and he sees his own reflection, uh, but he needs to manipulate someone, you know, he needs to feel like he's destroying something genuine so that he can validate his own sociopathic tendencies. And, I like uh, that. He sees that. He sees that in uh, Meg Ryan. That's really. I think he really sees uh, Parker Posey come out when they're stuck in the elevator, and she flips the f out. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that there's this misunderstanding where they start talking online, and they 
have interaction, either spoken or unspoken, like five or six times before it's revealed that that is actually the one you've been talking to online. But Tom Hanks realizes it at first, and he keeps it in. So I guess that could be viewed as pretty deceptive, pretty manipulative. Well, yeah, very cunning, like a fox. Yeah. Yeah, Like Joe Fox. I like how you did that there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he does, there's a a lot of little uh, red, red flags throughout the throughout the the movie uh like at one point he's in his father's office with his father and his grandfather his father dabney coleman uh and uh they're discussing uh foreclosing another a different small bookstore and they're (laughs) like they're they're expressing their pleasure at ruining lives you know uh i just I, i i think that's funny i think it's also funny how like this movie is ab- about this man and and that woman and they and it's about them f- coming together you know finding love and finding happiness mm-hmm. together through a means that's going to see both of their their stores come to ruins you know the mm-hmm. internet has destroyed bookstores and uh so that's a little come up for for Joe Fox yeah. i suppose yeah i just i think tom hanks i mean this this movie could have worked with any number of actors, but I think it's so fascinating with Tom Hanks because there's such a nostalgia with Tom Hanks, at least for me and pretty much everybody I know. One of my one of my uh, top five favorite romantic comedies of all time is, of course, The Money Pit. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of his movies established this undeniably charming likability of Tom Hanks that it carries through in everything that he does, you know? I mean, not all of his movies... I used to think that he's never made a bad movie. Eh, Bachelor Party was pretty bad. And not that we're talking about Bachelor Party, but even even when you put Tom Hanks in a bad movie, it's still Tom Hanks in a bad movie. And I'm trying to think of one where he played a real... Oh, shit. What was that one? Not Stardust, but... Cloud Atlas? Oh, Cloud Atlas. That was a super weird movie. I'm only movie. like halfway through the movie. Oh, but I love that movie. It seems like one yeah. of the novelties of that movie is, uh, not only is it a totally wild story, but it's Tom Hanks. And at one point, Tom Hanks throws a man off the roof, and okay. the man splatters on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting. Or you have Tom Hanks in the terminal, which is kind of an interesting story anyway, but it's still Tom Hanks, you know? Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks in everything he does. He is, he does. I think he plays a villain in the Circle in the new movie that he's got coming out with. Uh, I think it's Emma Watson that that that's in that, and John Boyega. Dude, I love John Boyega. Oh, of course, yeah. he's amazing. Yeah, I feel like he's one of those actors that I start sounding all like hipster indie. Like, man, I remember that kid from Attack the Block. Yeah. You told you got me on to Attack the Block. Yeah, man, that movie's I think sweet. You, you, I watched <laughs> yeah. that because of you, and I, mm. oh man, I watch it at least once a year. Oh, it's such a good movie. Um, but yeah, so I don't mean to say that Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks in every movie. Like, he's not, like, he can be a chameleon in a way that he, you know, every character is extraordinarily unique. But there's a certain je ne sais quoi that follows Tom Hanks in everything he does. Yeah, he's he's an everyman. He's you can see your father in Tom Hanks for the yeah. most part, you know. So so he's at once relatable in a in a way that's different from I think uh, Keanu Reeves gets a lot of credit, rightly so, for being able to to be kind of a a shell for people to to put themselves into. Mm-hmm. Where where well, let me 
also say that Keanu Reeves does some amazing, very subtle acting, and I will always stand up for Keanu Reeves. I think he's awesome. But Tom Hanks is not someone you can really put yourself into, but you can see somebody that you know and like mm-hmm. in Tom Hanks. Yeah, he, there's he something that he represents, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were your other four rom-coms? Oh, I, I named them. It was uh, You've Got Mail, yeah. of course, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Gross Point Blank, uh, uh, When Harry Met Sally, and uh, While You Were Sleeping, which I also love, when uh, her neighbor steals her shoes, and she tells him he can keep them. It's funny. Her neighbor oh, Joe! Her neighbor Joe steals her shoes. Who was who was Joe played by? Uh, an actor. Fucking Peter Gallagher. It wasn't it wasn't Peter Gallagher, but he was in the movie. Yeah, he yeah. was the guy who was He's in the, the vegetable. Coma, and yeah. then she fell in love with uh, mm. his brother. Oh yeah. yeah. So I wrote down Fried Green Tomatoes, which I'm not sure why, because it is not a romantic comedy. Mm-mm. Um but I did write down Can Hardly Wait and Ten Things I Hate About You, which is funny because some of those movies from the nineties that all kind of have the same feel. She's all that, you know. There's mm-hmm. a whole a whole bunch. Ten things I hate about you. It totally holds up. Yeah, and it, I think that the it does the same thing that Clueless does. Clueless yeah. takes uh, Jane Austen's Emma and updates it. And Ten Things I Hate About You takes Taming of the Shrew. Yeah, well, yeah. well and Clueless was directed by Amy Heckerling, who's one of my favorite female directors. She gave us National Lampoon's Vacation and Fast Times. Mm-hmm. Which were all pretty great movies. Yeah, Clueless was a good one. Yeah, Clueless can't really be a, a romantic comedy. No, because I thought about that. It's it's too comedy. Yeah, I, I for some reason when I was trying to think about romantic comedies over the years, is it more a matter of us evolving and then the movies changing to accommodate that, or is there such a variation in like how that's defined now? You know, like I thought Safety Not Guaranteed <laughs> was a great movie, and I really really like Mark Duplass. Um, and I think that's a pretty undeniable romantic comedy, right? Absolutely. I wish I... Well, I mean, it's gotta be, but it's got so many other fantastical elements to it. And I love I love that movie. I love Safety Not Guaranteed. So I think that there's certain things that you have to... that need to be limited in your romantic comedy, because if you're... If there's too many fantastical characters, then you're going to lose focus and the love story fails to be the central plot. So if you have these... And Safety Not Guaranteed was not one of those. I, there's not like a lot of side characters that just blew me away. But we could take something like 40-Year-Old Virgin, where you have kind of this, this core coming-of-age story with Steve Carell, and Catherine Keener is introduced early enough that she's a, obviously a central character... But then you have these other characters that are so engaging and so funny, and they have their own story going on. So I would think that that would inspire you to like alter the Steve Carell and Catherine Keener story to magnify that. You know, like if if the other side stories are distracting, then we need to invent a plot device to bring the focus back mm-hmm. to the main love story. What's I the don't other know. guy's name? Remy something. Remy Monaco. Who? The other, the other character from Forty Year Old Virgin. Oh, the guy from Weeds. Yeah, Romney Malco. Romney, I was close. Remy Mal- Monaco is what I said. Romney Malco. Yeah, you were close. Yeah. But yeah. So I don't know. Maybe um, we demand more. Maybe we, because I mean, any genre has evolved like that. I mean, action movies 
15 years ago compared to today. I mean, you look at... Um, Assassins. Assassins, and then you compare that with a movie like Con Air or Face Off, which I personally love, but... Um, yeah, those are all great movies. Pretty simplified plot, and um, I don't know. It's getting back to that, though. You've got John Wick, uh, and a few others are coming out, I, I, I believe. A lot of things, though, but that's that, that actually... That's well, and the Expendables, but that those were also hundred million dollar movies. They've they've really stopped making the mid budget films and put all of their investment into superhero movies. But now we're getting off topic. Those aren't rom coms, and that but that's kind of the thing, though, isn't it? That that rom coms really aren't being made in the same way that they used to be. Like uh, Notting Hill, you know, all these mm-hmm. all these Hollywood mid budget uh, romantic comedies. Runaway Bride is another one that <laughs> Julia Roberts between, movies yeah, aren't being Julia made Roberts anymore. Yeah, between Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock. Yeah, yeah. And um, Matthew McConaughey used to be in a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like uh, helped to define the genre. Yeah. And, and they've kind of been, you know, sidebarred for a while. And we've got, but we've gotten, um, I think we've gotten better fare out of it, though. I mean, we've got... Uh, Begin Again, which just came out. Romantic comedies. I just don't know. It's not my go-to genre. A while back for the podcast, Anna joined us and she picked uh, Blue Valentine. That is not a romantic comedy. No, it's not. But I mean, like, uh, the love stories in general. Mm -hmm. I don't avoid them per se, but it seems like there's so many sub-genres of the romantic comedy that... Those two words together don't really exist singularly anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I wouldn't consider the, the Apatow movies to be romantic comedies, is because they go so far into comedy, and usually you get one or the other. Like, They're certainly marketed differently now. I think, yeah. I think that um, because of how many different channels there are now to watch movies, you know, where... When this came out, it was like, let's have a date night. And if we're going to have a date night, it must mean we're going to the movies. I think the style of comedy has changed. Yeah. As far as romantic comedies. Like these, You've Got Mail, While You Were Sleeping, uh, When Harry Met Sally. These were all very earnest in, in their storytelling, you know. Uh, but now, and I guess Once does the same thing, but that one gets kind of into the drama territory a bit. It gets a bit heavy as well. I don't know about Begin Again. I haven't seen that one. Now you've got movies like Trainwreck, like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where they're, the humor's either more broad or it's self-referential or ironic in some way or sardonic in some way. And it loses, it loses the, the romantic aspect i think to the to the comedy feel and it makes it difficult for me to consider this a romantic comedy you know i would pick up you've got mail to watch if i want to feel comforted you know it's like comfort food but if i want to laugh out loud i can watch forgetting sarah marshall you know and and that's the thing is is that dichotomy that difference uh between what we have today and what we used to have uh back in the the mid 90s when they were still making these mid-budget uh these mid-range movies uh, that you don't have anymore. So I don't know if... Um, I think it'd be fun to see uh, a romantic comedy come out now with that tone that you used to see in those those older films. I think it'll be a while before we do, though. 
uh, and that's because of where the money has gone recently. And I don't know if the public wants it anymore because they've gotten used to what they have today. Although yeah. Trainwreck, I did not like. John Cena no, was the only good thing about that. I think there's definitely a uh, partly political correctness, but I think this very definite feministic wave where just a simple when Harry met Sally kind of story is not good enough anymore and or it's not um satisfying enough anymore you know like train wreck was for sure a romantic comedy but Amy Schumer's character was not the classic Audrey Hepburn character and I think that um but a lot of women don't want to see the female protagonist fit so nicely into this character type. Well, I don't know that you can really call it a feminist movement. I mean, that's I think that's kind of harsh. I mean, especially not I, in a bad I, way. No, I know. It's just uh, how, how do you how do you just so when Harry met Sally, they're obviously. That one is very, very well done. They're they're on the same playing field. There's no trickery involved, uh, and it's it's actually a very clever way of telling uh, a love story that hadn't really been done before, and I don't think has been done since, at least not to 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 such great effect. You know, it it takes these two years, you know, over a decade to to get together finally, and then Sleepless in Seattle does the same thing, where it's there's no real. Uh, there's no upper hand in things, you know. Uh, it's the story playing out and these two coming together. You've Got Mail is not that. You've Got Mail is definitely someone taking advantage of a situation. It is definitely <laughs> um, uh, in that vein. But I don't, I don't really see either, even uh, You've Got Mail as, uh, as showing a woman in a poor light or, or seeing her as not having the cognizance to to stand up for herself or, or yeah, be she's her not own a person. Character. I mean, she owns she owns a bookstore, you know, and she's fighting for that bookstore, and she makes her distaste for this guy known. And it's not like McClintock where he uh, <laughs> where where he bends her over his lap and slaps her ass, uh, and then carries her away, or for that matter, Gone with the Wind that people love. This is true. Yeah, this is so not I, McClintock. <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, so I think that that labeling it as a as a shift in in society in in a in a in a way that we're no longer degrading women in these romantic comedies is I think kind of a stretch. Maybe I not not, not the, degrading. I mean, like pigeonholing. You know, like you have this need for this female character, and she is a central role. It's not like she's a plot device, but I think that it's an important role. It's a fairly simple role. I mean. Well, Meg Ryan said as much. Yeah, she she Meg Ryan said that this, this role is not a stretch, and she will never play another character like it again. As we've seen, unfortunately, she and Tom Hanks have not teamed up together for a movie like this ever since. They were together in one other movie that uh, just recently came out. Yeah, they're not the main characters though. Uh, so, what do you think about doing a bad movie episode next time? Yeah, that's fine. We're about to to wrap up here. Anything you want to? I mean, I know we could keep talking about the rom-com, but... No, it's fine. And I think that that's what this has kind of become, is is a, 
an exploration of the evolution of romantic comedy. I think you proved me wrong in that in that regard. In that it, the, the storytelling has evolved, maybe not since the 1500s to now, but uh, storytelling has become more nuanced. I'd say since these earlier films came out. You know, this is from '98, so it's almost 20 years old. Uh, and and we're seeing more interesting plot points. Uh, I think that the characters again are, are more nuanced and uh, the ideas are more subtly approached, but I kind of like, I kind of like the older, the older romantic comedies, those mid budget Hollywood movies. I think they had a lot to offer. It was nice to be taken back to a similar time. Yeah. 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 Uh, I wanted to mention also in 98, I was trying to bring myself um, back to this time when I was watching this movie. So in 1998, uh, we also received Chris Farley's autopsy report that came back that told us that opiates and cocaine were chiefly responsible for his death. Uh, France won the World Cup. Bill Clinton denies having sexual relations with that woman. Uh, Winter Olympics were held in Nagano, Japan. I remember playing that Nintendo 64 game, Nagano. Mm. 99. That was a terrible game. <laughs> All right. Well, in an effort to end every episode with a reference to Nintendo 64, we're going to call that quick. But thanks for joining us this week, Sam Ball. He's going to join us in the near future, I happen to know. And thanks for listening. You can hear all the rest of our episodes at our SoundCloud. That's probably how you're hearing this now, at soundcloud.com slash movieshowtheater. And we also have a Facebook page. You can leave a comment. You can leave a suggestion. You want to join us in the studio for a recording? That's great. Leave us a message, and we'll make it happen. So until next Tuesday... This is Movie Show Theater. Every little bird in the tall oak tree, the wise are loud, the big black crow, clap for their wings, sing and go, bird, go, rock and robin, sweet, sweet, rock and robin, sweet, rock and robin,